Well, it's an exciting time uh, with everything that's going on in our Welland location, the ways in which uh, we are being reminded real time that we have uh, a love from God that the world is waiting for. And have, now is the time to let that love rise. In, in fact, not even just in the ways in what we're doing out in Welland. I think that's a part of what this, this series is all about. Uh, called Staying Power is all about the kind of love that um, both in our experience and in what it radiates the world just demonstrates the love of God. And so um, last week in our first uh, week in this series, I mentioned that a buddy of mine and I had gone to Austria to go to Bible school when we graduated from high school. We were 18 years old living in Europe. And while we were there, one of the things that we had to do, we were part of a small group at this Bible school. And one of the things we had to do at this Bible school encouraged by our leader, is that we had to write out a list of character traits or qualities that we would like to see. If we were ever going to get married, remember we're 18 at the time, whatever. If we were ever going to get married, what kind of character traits or qualities would you want in a partner that you would, you know, one day, would you look for in a partner, I guess is the whole point of the thing. And the interesting thing is, so I went through that exercise when I was 18 years ago, which is some years ago at this point. Um, I had that piece of paper right up until two years ago. A list of things. Now, I had been married for 11 years. I had this list of things that I was looking for in a spot. Not actively looking anymore, but, uh, but it created some laughs for Krista and me when she shared with me that when she was a teenager, she had done the same thing and that she still had her list. And so we kind of compared notes. It was interesting to see the, the similarities and the differences between what it was that we were looking for. So my list, to the best of our recollection, because we got rid of it two years ago, was, had six items on it. Krista says she remembers all of the items because she was, you know, grading herself as she went along. But, but mine had six items on it. Basically, this is what I said. I'd like somebody who has like an active faith that loves Jesus. I wanted somebody who was attractive to me, obviously. I wanted somebody who was funny, somebody who, who makes me laugh. I wanted somebody uh, who could tolerate the idea of a life in ministry. Um, I, at that point, already kind of suspected that I might do church work for my vocation and person I wanted to be married had to be okay with that. Um, I said I wanted somebody who had their own personality, who had a strong personality, had their own opinions about stuff, that they weren't afraid to voice. Um, sort of regret, regret that one now. Uh, <laughs> and then my last one, I said I wanted someone who was musical and who plays like an instrument, which uh, Krista doesn't really do, but I pointed out to her when I showed her the list that that one was actually written in a different color pen, and it was added at a different time because uh, I actually had a particular girl in mind when I wrote it, and that didn't work out. So I told her I was, I was willing to live without that one. But, um, but she had a list, and hers were, there were seven things on her list, and it was interesting to see how the overlaps and the differences. She wanted someone who was a Christian. She wanted someone who was attractive. She wanted someone who was funny. So, you know, mixed score on that bag. Um, or a mixed bag on that square. Uh, she wanted somebody who enjoys travel. We've been to several countries, love going out together. She wanted somebody who loves education, which I think she now regrets now that I'm back in school. She wanted somebody who wasn't going to walk on eggshells, but who was willing to talk about some, everything. She wanted somebody who was taller than her, though she said she would live without that one. 
Now, there's been an ongoing debate for 13 years in our marriage whether or not she has had to live without that one. And I would just like to say for the record, since she does not have a microphone, that at one point in a medical appointment at McMaster Hospital, we actually had the nurse measure both of us. And I am officially, medically, an eighth of an inch taller than my wife, whether or not you believe it. So she got her whole list, basically, good for her. But it's an interesting exercise, right, to kind of to begin to think about what are the sorts of characteristics of a person that create the opportunity for a relationship that has staying power, for a relationship that lasts. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we look at Proverbs, mostly Proverbs chapter 26. I'm going to start in 25 verse 28 if you have a, a Bible. But where the writer of Proverbs basically paints a picture not of the kind of person who, uh, you know, engages in relationships that have staying power, but sort of the opposite, what one commentator called a portrait of a fool. The kind of person whose characteristics have a destructive power on relationships. The kind of person who will, who will break relationships. And so this morning, and there's two main characteristics that we're going to look at this morning, but we're going to start in, in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, with this portrait, kind of a snapshot of the sort of person that the writer of Proverbs is talking about that then will flesh out into two characteristics. It says this, Proverbs 25, 28, it says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control person who lacks self-control. The phrase in Hebrew means self-restraint or literally means someone who is unable to restrain their spirit. They essentially they lack the self-restraint or the self-control. They lack the self-discipline to make healthy and wise choices with their life. And the writer of Proverbs says that kind of person who lacks self-control or self-discipline is the kind of person, they're kind of like a, a city whose walls have been broken through. Now, in the ancient world, uh, every major city had walls. And the purpose of the walls in the ancient world was generally simple. There was two purposes. One was to keep the good stuff in, and the other was to keep the bad hombres, so to speak, out. I hear that walls are for the purpose of keeping bad hombres out. But this was the point of the walled city, was we're going to keep our citizens and our treasure and everything that's valuable safe inside, and we're going to keep all the people who want to harm us on the outside. But if you were a city, if you lived in a city, and the walls were broken, or the walls had been breached, or the walls had collapsed, or there was no city wall, you were particularly weak and vulnerable. You were vulnerable to not being able to hang on to whatever was good and basically letting in all the stuff that was bad. What the writer of Proverbs is saying is that there are some people who are like that. There are some people who lack self-restraint, who lack self-control or the, the discipline to make healthy and wise choices. And those people, if you settle into a relationship like that, you are settling into a vulnerable situation where more than likely what you're going to discover is that bad stuff enters into your relationship and the good stuff is allowed to disappear. And for the rest of the passage from 20, 26 verse 1 to 12, he fleshes out... Two reasons why that happens in relationship with that kind of person. The first reason is this. 
And this is obviously not an exhaustive list like our bullet points here, but, you know, Krista and me, but this is sort of two representative examples of the kinds of things that have destructive power in relationships. The first one is this. Your relationship is weak and vulnerable to danger when you find yourself in a relationship with somebody who is unteachable. In Proverbs 26 verse 12, it says this. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Now, I if you are not a dog owner, I am not a dog owner. Um, there's something about dogs that you need to know. Like all other creatures in the world, periodically, um, dogs will regurgitate food that they have attempted to digest, which didn't agree with the digestive process uh, biologically. And they said the dogs will vomit. They'll just throw up all over the floor. Now, unlike other creatures in creation, dogs will often then return to their vomit with the intention of re-eating it, which is vile and disgusting and reason number 716, why I don't own a dog. But I guess, like for reasonable people like us, you know, if there's puke on the floor, the if no other reason, and there's lots of other reasons, the puke smell alone is going to, like, most people want to head the other way from the puke smell. There, there are people in each of our locations who are fighting the urge to dry heave right now because they're thinking about that puke smell and, like, seriously considering walking out of the room if I say puke smell too many more times. But dogs aren't like that. Dogs will smell right past the puke smell and what they'll smell is undigested food. And they'll be like, oh yeah, beef, I liked that. And then they'll go back and they'll eat it all over again. And the proverbial writer says, some people are like that. Not that they'll eat their own vomit, but some people who lack self-restraint, who lack self-control of the discipline to make good and healthy and wise decisions. Some, there are some people who will make choices that are like vomit smell choices, like just awful, wretched choices, pardon the pun. And then instead of learning from that and running away from that, They'll come right back to it and eat it up. Just do it all over again. They just, they're unteachable. They refuse to learn. They refuse to change. They continue in this pattern of unhealthy behavior. And here's why they, they, they don't ever change. Verse 12, he says, do you see a person who's wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than him. So a, hope, a fool is someone who will vomit and then go back and eat it again, right? In terms of their behavior. They'll engage in just terrible, wretched choices and then do it all over again. That's a fool. You, the, the proverbial writer says, you know who's even worse than that? Somebody who's wise in their own eyes. Someone who, who thinks they've already got it figured out. Somebody who's unteachable. Who's not interested in other people's perspectives and other people's opinions and other people's advice. He says, on the one hand, you've got somebody who engages in, you know, making terrible choices and, you know, going back to eat their vomit. But if, but if somebody's there to say, hey, listen, uh, I have a better idea. How about you not do that again? And if that person's like, oh, really? You, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe I won't do that. That person has the opportunity to change and grow. I talked last week about how 
Part of the purpose of relationship, of being in the shoulder-to-shoulder friendship, is that we bring out of each other stuff that helps us become more like the people God has created us to be. But if you have somebody who won't listen, if you have somebody who's convinced they're right all the time, if you have somebody who just doesn't think anybody has anything to add, you know that kind of person, the know-it-all, who just, you can't tell them anything. The writer of Proverbs says, there's, there's no hope for a person like that. A person who lacks self-discipline, who makes bad choices and then refuses to learn from other people how to make better choices. You can't be in a relationship like that. In fact, the writer of the Proverbs describes what it's like to be in a relationship with a person like that. In verse four, he says this. He says, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. The writer basically says this. He goes, you ever, you ever been in a situation where you've heard somebody spouting just utter nonsense? Like they're just pontificating about stuff that it's clear that they have no clue what they're talking about. I mean away from Sunday mornings, right? Like I, but just somebody who's, who's airing out their opinions and what is obvious is that they're ignorant, that they're just wrong, that they, they haven't thought about this, they haven't bothered to learn. Like they're just, you know the kind of person. It's called the internet. Right? This is 3,000 years ago. These words are written and the writer of the Proverbs is predicting the emergence of Facebook or Twitter, the comment section on YouTube. Right? Like just when people go on and they make absolute fools of themselves with the nonsense that they spout. What the proverbial writer says is if you find yourself in a relationship with someone like that, don't answer. Don't even get drawn. Don't dignify their nonsense with an answer. Because you get sucked into that, they're going to drag you through the mud with them. You're going to end up just like them. Right? Um, In effect, this is the 3,000-year-old version of the internet maxim, don't feed the trolls. Right? You get involved, you watch people get involved in these stupid fights online. It's like you went in with the best intention and you came, you ended up stooping down to their level. The proverbial writer says, don't do that. Just don't get sucked into it. You're, it's just, you're just going to end up as muddy as they are. But then listen to the very next verse, verse 5. He says, answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. He says the exact opposite of what he just, he said, don't answer the fool or you'll be just like him. Now he says, no, no, no. You better answer the fool according to his folly or else he'll assume he's spouting off this nonsense, pontificating about dumb stuff that he doesn't know anything about. But if you don't say anything, he's going to assume your silence is agreement and affirmation and you're going to embolden him to spout his nonsense even more confidently next time. You have to speak into that situation and say, listen, you don't know what you're talking about. These are the facts and get your head straight and whatever. He said, or else it's just going to get worse. Don't answer the fool or you'll be like him. Answer a fool or else he'll think he's right. Which is it? How do you live in relationship with somebody who is like that, who's unteachable, just, who just says stuff and thinks they're right and is unwilling to listen to anybody? Do you answer them or not? And, and the whole point of putting those two Proverbs side by side is that there is no right answer. In fact, you live in a relationship with somebody who's just right about everything, who's a know-it-all, who can't, you can't tell them anything about anything. You live in a relationship like that with someone like that and your whole life 
internally is spent bouncing back and forth between those two questions. Is this one of those situations where I should speak up and say something or should I just let it go? Your whole life is this inner tension of how do I respond? Do I correct him or do I just let it go? Uh, your whole inner world is about walking on eggshells. It's about picking battles. It's about not wanting to start another fight. It's, at least this is what Krista tells me. Um, but you live with this inner turmoil all the time. And quite honestly, most of the time you end up making the wrong choice. You speak when you should be silent. You're silent when you should say something. And the whole thing blows up in your face anyway. The point I think the writers make is you can't live in a relationship with someone like that. Not any sort of meaningful, enduring relationship that has any kind of staying power with somebody who's just un, who just won't listen. In fact, oftentimes, you're left to resort to drastic measures if you're going to get through to the person at all. In verse 3, he says this, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Right? What's the bridle for the horse and the, or a bridle for the donkey and a whip for the horse? What's that all about? Well, that's what a rider or an operator will use to take a wild animal and try and channel their behavior in a productive way, right? That's how you get the attention of a dumb animal and force them to cooperate, force them into obedience, force them into submission. And he said, sometimes the only way to do that with an unteachable fool is with a rod on his back. Now, he's not why he's advocating physical violence because 3,000 years ago that was a little more acceptable than it is today. I'm not advocating physical violence but sometimes the only way you can get through to somebody like that who's just unteachable and will not listen is to impose some severe consequences to get their attention. And as soon as you do that, you know what you've done to the relationship? You've shifted it. Because now it's no longer the relationship between equals. Now somebody's become the authority, the dominant one, trying to channel the other person's behavior, trying to impose some restraint from the outside. Now your relationship is one of authority and submission and it's become something that's unsustainable for the long haul. What, what's the writer's point? The writer's point is this, don't be that person. If you want to experience sustainable relationships that have sustained the staying power, don't be this kind of arrogant, unteachable person who can't be told anything about anything. The heart of we is a heart of humility. A heart that knows that you haven't got it all figured out. A heart that knows that there's brokenness in your spirit. That there's broken parts to your soul. A heart that knows that you sometimes make stupid decisions and you say dumb things and you do things that are unwise and unhealthy. And that looks to the people who love you and who are surrounding you to be this support network to, that help you become the person that you've been created to be. But that takes humility and teachability in order to do that. You want to build relationships of staying power in your life. It's going to demand from you a heart of humility. That that's the spirit, the posture that you carry into the relationship. The second thing that the writer of the Proverbs says. That if you are in a relationship with somebody who is no self-restraint. Who has no self-control. Who's um, got no discipline to make good and healthy choices. Um, the other reason it's impossible to be in a healthy relationship with that person is because they're not dependable. 
They will not live with integrity with you in the relationship. Here's what it says in verse 26. It says this, or 26 verse 1. Like snow in the summer or rain in the harvest, honor is not fitting for a fool. Um, Obviously, the writer of Proverbs is writing with an agricultural metaphor to an agricultural society. And most of us are not farmers, so this may go right over our heads. But snow in summer and rain in the harvest are two of the most destructive weather events that a farmer can experience. Um, in fact, we experienced one of these just five years ago in the spring of 2012. We had an unseasonably warm March. All the farmers in the community already know what I'm going to say. We had an unseasonably warm March that kind of sped up the maturing process. And all the buds and the blossoms came out early in March that year. And then in April, when the temperature should have been going up, it plummeted. And there was a frost. That frost wiped out the buds and the blossoms, almost all the tender fruit for the cherries and the apples and the peaches. Um, just almost decimated the whole harvest. In fact, the agricultural industry in Ontario is a $48 million a year industry. That year they lost $24 million. The farmers asked the government to declare a state of emergency because of the devastation of the crops. Why? Because when it was supposed to be warm, it was cold and it destroyed everything. Rain and harvest will do the same thing. You know, be equally destructive, I mean. Because if it's raining during the harvest, you can't get out in the fields and harvest the crops. You can't bring them in and sell them, especially with heavy equipment. But you take your heavy equipment out in the field because you got to harvest this stuff. And you, you run the risk of tearing up your field so badly that it, it becomes inordinately expensive to repair it for the next year again. Never mind the fact that with some crops, rain will diminish the quality of the crop and it will reduce the yield. So you're making less money on worse product and if winter comes fast enough while the fields are still saturated you got to wait in the spring you can't plant until the fields have all dried out which delays your growing season rain in the harvest can actually seriously damage two growing seasons at least so i'm told to celebrate that the, the writer of the proverb says to honor a fool to extend to them respect and esteem in the form of friendship and relationship responsibility um, is to celebrate cold in the summer and rain at the harvest. It's to celebrate destruction uh, because that's what they're going to bring into your experience of relationship. And down in verse 8, he returns to this idea of honoring a fool and he says this, like tying a stone to a sling is the giving of honor to a fool. Um, the sling is the ancient predecessor of our slingshot and ultimately our gun. It's a weapon in the ancient world that was a long strip of leather that had a pad in it. You lay a stone in the pad and then you bring the ends together and you start to twirl it over your head and you let go of one end and you fling the rock at your opponent as a projectile. Now, you can imagine, it takes a lot of speed and coordination to get this thing slinging above your head to keep the rock inside the sling. And and imagine you have some idiot operator, right, who can't get this thing going. He can't get it twirling fast enough, and the stone keeps dropping out of the sling. So what's his solution? He says, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to tie the stone right into the sling. That way it won't fall out. It won't drop. Right? So he's twirling it over his head, and he goes to let go. And what happens? Well, it doesn't, the rock never leaves the sling. It just sort of... You never attack your enemy and it's going to get to the end of its extension and 
what direction is it going next? <laughs> right back at you. Right? You're going to injure yourself. And the, the right of the proverb is saying, if you extend respect and esteem and the honor of friendship to someone who lacks self-control and discipline to make healthy, wise, and good choices, uh, that's going to backfire. You're just going to end up hurting yourself because, and he gives two reasons. He says, number one, because you can't trust that they're going to do what they say they're going to do. Verse six, he says this, sending a message by the hands of a fool is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. In the ancient world, there was basically two ways to communicate with your friend. We got lots of ways. We can text message, we can iMessage, we can use Twitter or social media, we can, uh, we can call, we can email, we can write a note, we can drive over to their house, God forbid, have a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody. Um, there's lots of ways for us to communicate. In the ancient world, there's basically two. Either you go or you send somebody else, and that's it. The writer of the Proverbs is saying, if you choose to send somebody who lacks self-control, who lacks self-restraint, who doesn't have the discipline to make healthy and wise choices, um, that's going to be about as effective as cutting off your own feet and then attempting to deliver the message yourself. You are undercutting your own ability to make things happen because they will not do what they say they're going to do. It's actually worse than that. Down in verse 10, he says this, like an archer who wounds at random is one who hires a fool or a passerby. We've had too many stories in the news about random acts of violence, acts of terror, whether, you know, mass shooting or, you know, uh, religiously motivated or whatever it happens to be, where people injure innocent passers-by with random acts of violence. The writer of the Proverbs says, extending honor to a fool, the honor of friendship or the respect of giving them responsibility, counting on them, trusting in them to do anything is not only ineffective, at the end of the day, it's just going to cause people to get hurt. Other people who aren't you and you're going to end up being partially responsible for the damage that gets done by somebody else whose unwise decisions are hurting other people. So you, you can't extend the respect of responsibility or the honor of friendship to somebody who lacks self-control because they're not going to do what they say. They're, they're going to lack integrity in what they do. They're going to lack integrity in being who they say they're going to be. In verse 7, it says this. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. It says, a proverb in the mouth of a fool is as useless as a paralyzed leg. We just imagine somebody who has a spinal cord injury or, you know, they've broken their leg, shattered their femur or whatever the case may be. From the outside, their leg looks, you know, perfectly intact, but it's actually not useful for doing the thing that legs are supposed to do, which is to carry somebody as they walk through life. And the writer of the Proverbs says, that's what wisdom is like to somebody who lacks self-control, to somebody who doesn't have the discipline to make healthy, wise, and good choices. On the outside, they appear like wisdom will help them walk in a way that they're supposed to walk. That is a very Jewish metaphor, that your life the way you live out your life is how you walk. 
And the writer says, you can give them all the wisdom you want. It's not going to change the way they walk. It's going to be waste on them. They're not, it says actually the proverb is in their mouth. They're acknowledging the wisdom that they're not going to live out. They're not going to be who they say they're going to be. In verse 9, again, he goes to this injury metaphor. And he says, like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in a mouth of a fool. Whether that's, you know, somebody who's so drunk that they're holding a thorn bush and they're getting hurt and they don't even realize it. Or somebody who's drunk and holding a thorn bush and they're hurting other people. In other, it doesn't matter. As, as much as they say they're going to be this kind of person, people are going to get hurt. Which is why you can't live in a functional relationship that's healthy and whole and has any sort of staying power with somebody who lacks self-control or self-discipline, self-restraint, who is incapable of making good and healthy and wise choices. And the proverbial writer's point, again, is not so much about other people, it's about you, it's about me. Don't be that person. The heart of we is a heart of humility that is teachable and humble and able to take correction and admonishment and advice and and is going to grow because of the input of the people around you. The heart of we, secondly, is a heart of integrity. A heart that be counted on to be, to do what it says it will do and to be what it says it will be. The kind of person who knows how to follow through on the commitments they've made. The kind of person who knows how to um, live out with integrity the kind of person that they've said they're going to be. I would argue, I'm sure there's other things, the Proverbs in other places would add other characteristics, but I would argue that at at a heart level, of the kind of people that we are, the kind of people that we, how we behave in relationship. These are the two most fundamental relationship, either destroying or building heart attitudes that we carry into our relationships with each other. An attitude of humility that is willing to learn from the loving people who are pouring into our lives and the attitude of integrity that is committed to doing what we've said we'd do and being who we've said we'd be. You can't build relationships that have staying power without those two heart attitudes radiating from your life. Which, I don't know if you're anything like me, can be somewhat troubling news Because having the humility to listen to the input of others and having the discipline to follow through on being who I said I would be are two of the most challenging heart attitudes that I wrestle with on a daily basis. And the good news for us, it's like the song we sang before, we have the love that the world is waiting for. The love that we have is the love that God has poured into our lives. It's actually, we're not the ones who have to make ourselves into these kinds of people. It's actually the love of God in the form of the Spirit of God who's been poured into our life. God is the one who has the power, the ability to transform us into the kind of people who have the power to live in healthy, productive, whole kinds of relationships that have staying power. And so as I pray, I want the band to come to the stage and we're going to sing a song to close the service. And the song is essentially a prayer in and of itself.
where we ask God to be the agent of change, to make us into the kinds of people that he's inviting us to be this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I find it so easy to be the person who believes that I have all the answers and I find it so easy to lack the discipline to be the person, not just for my wife, but for my kids, for my friends, for my colleagues, the people that I live with, people at school and at the arena. I just, I, and I think I speak with others as well, just lack the discipline to always be the person that we've said that we'd be the person you have invited us to be. And I'm, I'm thankful, God, this morning that I don't have to become that on my own. Not only have you surrounded me with people who love me, and you've done that for all of us, but you've filled me with your spirit, who's able to live your life through me, to fill me with the life and the love of Jesus. And I pray, God, that by your spirit, you would change us once again, into the kind of people who can live the sort of relationships you've invited us into, healthy, whole relationships that have staying power. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.